The Democrats have gone from being the disadvantaged party to a structurally hobbled party in a way that is having structural effects on the political system. Dr. James Henson is director of the Texas Politics Project at UT Austin. He's one of three special guests today dishing out a deeper understanding of this hugely important state. A lot of diversity on the ground in Texas, not much in government. Texas has been under increasingly populist Republican rule for two decades now without much change in sight. And so, you know, you get in a position where you're just so structurally disadvantaged that it almost changes the fundamental nature of political competition. I'm Robert Pease, and this is The Purple Principle, now in our third season, and exploring the perils of state-level polarization. Texas recently passed the most restrictive abortion access and least restrictive gun access laws in the country. Is that a case of Texas asserting its own identity? Or is it just another case of a political party seizing control and playing to their base, as is happening throughout our polarized nation? A big question on a big place. The research group More in Common interviewed thousands of Texans in compiling their recent report, Threads of Texas. We'll be speaking with Global Research Director Stephen Hawkins about this project. Texas is a huge state. You know, it's, a, it's as big as many European countries are. But Texas identity is also a very significant one. Not every state has people in it that strongly identify and are very proud of being from that state. So it was a great place for us to kind of initiate this local level analysis. This More in Common report finds far more diversity of viewpoint in Texas society than Texas politics. We'll discuss that with Stephen Hawkins and Texas-based co-author Paul Oshinsky, who'll break down seven distinct Texas identities for us. A lot to learn about the Lone Star State in this episode and throughout our Texas miniseries. Starting with Dr. James Henson on the mission of the Texas Politics Project. In addition to polling within and about Texas, they've instructed tens and possibly hundreds of thousands of Texas college students in civics and government over the past 15 years. Yeah, I mean, we started really as uh, at the intersection of education and public affairs. The very first piece of the Texas Politics Project was an online text for freshman government. You know, one of the the interesting things about Texas is that there is a provision in the Texas Constitution that anybody with a degree from a public institution of higher education in the state shall take formal coursework in the Texas Constitution and the U.S. Constitution. We're very intrigued by the way you poll because you have, in our view at least, a broader less zero-sum definition of the political game. You have independence in there. You have degrees of strength in party identification and ideology. So tell us how you came upon that you know, more exhaustive, and it must be also very challenging methodology. The origin of the polling process was really shaped by academic training, which tends to look for more if you put it simply, you know, splitting rather than lumping. And so in all the nuanced kind of measures that you're talking about having relying on, say, a seven-point party ID and ideological identification scale rather than a three-point scale, 
being interested in more exhaustive demographic and and sociological characteristics on the you know what we think of as the back end of the poll you know all of those things i think come from this being a poll that is for public consumption but was put together and kind of conceived in an academic setting in which those kinds of approaches are more fundamental yeah well you've been tracking an increase in negative partisanship in texas which i think mirrors a trend around the country and we're wondering does that in some way erode the Texas identity, which is so strong historically? You know, on one hand, I think there is no doubt that the nationalization of politics writ large and the way that national politics are playing such a large role in state-level politics and state-level political discourse in the interlude that we're in now has probably had some corrosive effect on the durability of this Texas identity and its ability to bind people together in a sense, or, you know, create a social identity apart from partisanship. That said, I mean, the notion of a Texan identity has always been kind of contested here and continues to be contested. And it's almost, I mean, I think that contestation is almost part of the identity here. Well, let's get into some of the details then of some of your recent polls. So 40% overall felt democracy in Texas was working poorly to some degree. Or in another poll that the majority of Texas feel the state is on the wrong track. Well, I mean, I think there are a few things going on here now. One is partisanship, that for a long time, if you looked at the party breakdowns of these right track, wrong track numbers, they are influenced. They're not totally determined, but they're influenced by party identity vis-a-vis the party in power. And so on the right track, wrong track number, even, you know, when the economy was going great, the periods of, you know, real hot economic growth here and, and prosperity, Republican right track numbers tended to be higher than Democratic right track numbers because of Um, this partisan influence on people's responses. In terms of the big turn towards wrong track, I mean, it, you know, I think it has a couple of different determinants here. One is simply the impact of the pandemic and to some degree the, the level of turmoil, both political and social, that the pandemic has brought. But I think the other piece of thinking about the impact of the pandemic on people's general assessments of the mood and of political figures is that part of the difficulty of people's experience of the pandemic has also been the political intertwining of the deeply different partisan frames of the pandemic. People are not only experiencing different levels of hardship and discomfort and increased pessimism because of the pandemic, they're also feeling, have those feelings about the politicized response to the pandemic. Yeah, well, I believe you've had a trifecta now for about 20 years. 
This is the largest Republican majority in the House since just after the Civil War. GOP leaders are taking it as a clear mandate for more conservative legislation. Governor Greg Abbott retains his seat, 56% of the vote. Lupe Valdez, former Dallas County Sheriff, coming in at 42%. In the weeks and months before Election Day, Texas Democrats had hoped for a blue wave to sweep over the state in the presidential race, the Senate races, and more. But you can see from this map of the results, that didn't really happen. And at a certain point, when a party's been out of power that long, do people get sort of used to one-party government? And does it become just very difficult for the opposition party to get media attention, to raise money, to attract volunteers and that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's a good summation of what I'm saying. I mean, you know, you don't have to believe that the politics are driven entirely by patronage to note that incumbency has its advantages in cultivating party resources. And when you've been out of government that long, it just dries up a, a critical area of resources. We're speaking with Dr. James Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project. He's making an important point about one party rule at the state level, often called a trifecta where one party holds the governor's seat and both chambers of the legislature. There's currently 37 trifectas in the U.S. That's largely the result of partisan gerrymandering, which we learned about from two previous experts in this series. Most recently, Texas Monthly Editor-in-Chief Dan Goodgame. We've taken gerrymandering to a whole new level here. And also Jason Wheeler, co-host of the podcast Yolitics in our first Texas episode. If I can add one more thing there, Robert, I'll bring up the G word because I think that's a big part of this in Texas and everywhere else, and that's gerrymandering. Partisan gerrymandering creates more safe seats for the party drawing the maps. That helps create one party rule within a state sometimes for decades at a time, as in Texas. But this also has implications for political affiliation. Upcoming guest Henry Cisneros is a former four-term mayor of San Antonio and longtime observer of business and politics in Texas. If you were a young Hispanic in business and you wanted to progress in your community, you're going to relate to the people who are in power. And if all the appointments at the state level to serve on boards and commissions, if all of the uh, invitations to you as a member of a Hispanic Chamber of Commerce are to be with like-minded business people, and they're all Republicans, then at some point you say to yourself, well, maybe that's where I should be if I want to advance. Something to think about as we move on to our next two guests, Stephen Hawkins and Paul Oshinsky. They've helped create the most complete research study of identity in Texas in recent time. That's the more in common report, Threads of Texas. Available for download at threadsoftexas.us. Have you heard the phrase, the exhausted majority? That was popularized by their 2018 report, Hidden Tribes of America. They've now applied a similar approach to Texas. First up, Stephen Hawkins, Global Research Director on the origin of this project. So we're still definitely doing national segmentations. But one of the insights that we're finding as we do research, not just in the U.S., but across Europe, is that people identify closely with their local region or their local state 
well, now Texas is a huge state, you know, it's a, it's as big as many European countries are, but Texas identity is also a very significant one. Not every state has people in it that strongly identify and are very proud of being from that state. You know, I believe from memory, the data here shows that most Texans care about being from Texas equivalently to how much they care about being American. Yeah, well, we're probably not coincidentally doing a series on state identity and how polarization is affecting that. So we're wondering, Paul, as you've worked on this report, as you've been studying political science in Texas there, do you see some of that collapse occurring, some of that national polarization creeping down and eroding the identity in Texas? Yeah, absolutely. And part of what you see with this is it being by design. So at the core of this study, um, Threads of Texas, is a way to understand Texans beyond these traditional groupings where we think of the you know nation is divided amongst liberals and conservatives, urban, rural, um, newcomers and old timers, things like that. Yeah, well, let's then take a look at the seven different threads or types of Texas citizens or voters. Just very quickly moving from the far left of the political spectrum through the center to the far right. So let's start with Lone Star progressives, 14% of the population. They feel like they don't belong in Texas. Are they any different from progressives elsewhere in any way? Sure. So yeah, that's a really good question. I think one of the important variables there is that Texas, at least in the you know past 20 or so years has been known as a deeply red and conservative state. And so Lone Star progressives have this sentiment of alienation in Texas. They don't identify with, you know, the more patriotic, uh, liberty-centric Texas identities. And they do have high levels of political engagement, um, as well as educational credentials and socioeconomic status. Yeah, well, then let's look at civic pragmatists, 22%. I thought it was interesting that they're more likely to get news from from mainstream media than, say, from cable news. Sure. A group that's pragmatic, optimistic, but interested in compromise, close to the political center, politically diverse, engaged, and racially diverse. And now rising mavericks, 12% of Texans in this report, and only half as likely to vote. A lot of them have really strong Texan pride, but also can be critical of Texas's past. So they can hold seemingly contradictory, um, but on its head, just more balanced views on uh, Texas's history. All right, then the next group in the very center, I suppose, if we can simplify it that way, apolitical providers or non-political providers. This group of all the other segments in Texas are least likely to engage in political activities. They're just less interested in politics. They're also most likely to worry about being left behind. And now moving to the right of center, diehard Texas, with just over half likely to be Hispanic. Sure. Yeah. And it's, I mean, if you get out of the Austin area to some of the the more rural areas of Texas, you'll probably see a lot more Texan flags, and those might be some diehard Texans. They also just have a strong protectiveness around a pure Texan identity. Great. And now reverent Texans, based primarily on religious beliefs. One of the other characteristics of this group is that they are really optimistic. And similar to uh, diehard Texans, 
almost 100%, which is a, a rare sight in any survey research, almost 100% believe that America would be better if more states were like Texas. And finally, I believe towards the far right, heritage defenders, 9% of Texans, would you say they're pretty much on the same wavelength as far right populists throughout the country? Yeah, I think that is fair to say. I think there's a lot of similarities. They're a lot less optimistic, um, especially if you compare them to, you know, those conservative reverent Texans or diehard Texan groups. Um, But one of their uh, key uh, components, which does kind of map on to groups in our national segmentation, is their strong undercurrent of skepticism of the government. Um, They're less trusting. That's great, Paul. Gives us a much better sense of all the viewpoints involved here. But let's dig into the deep freeze, the grid outage a year ago that affected a huge number of Texans. We'd like to play a clip from Jason Wheeler, co-host of Yolitics and news anchor at WFAA in Dallas. Some parts of this state were below freezing for 205 consecutive hours. I'll do the math. That's eight and a half days. And so homes were freezing on the inside. You had people pulling the artwork off their walls, throwing it into the fireplace to stay warm and to cook because they had been without power for so long. This affected, I think the power disruption affected 69% of Texans in some form or another, some of them for days and days and days. Yeah, sure. And I count myself as one of those 69% of people that lost power and water and had to migrate over to someone else's house where we housed five other people, um, long lines at grocery stores for hours, freezing cold weather. But what we found in our research, we were able to field our um, survey of 1,000 Texans just a month after uh, the winter storm in 2021. So we found support across the board for um, Texas to strengthen its energy grid. In addition, um, we found that Texans agreed with this sort of commonality statement that said this, you know, weather and power crisis reminded us that no matter what our political beliefs were, just as Texans, we have to rely on each other and work together. And that's something that I know I said earlier, but I saw in the Austin area is people, you know, providing for each other, um, opening up their houses to others, um, feeding each other, things like that. These are just a few examples of Texans helping Texans. Former UT All-American Michael Huff paid for a thousand tacos to give out in Austin. Colt McCoy and others worked with the group Safehorns to help thousands of students on campus. A brewery in Killeen boiled 600 gallons of water. And Alyssa Young sent us this photo of an approved water giveaway from a fire hydrant. Yeah, well, I'm going to ask a question of Stephen here, if I may. Uh, Looking back at your original report, 2018 Hidden Tribes, I believe it was the groups in the center of that report that formed the exhausted majority that were most turned off by hyper-partisanship and polarization. But it seems from the Threads of Texas study, it's the groups on the wings that are most exhausted by polarization. So were you surprised by that different finding in Texas? When we talk about the exhausted majority, it's not just one quality that we're looking at, which could be fatigue or exhaustion at the political space. It's whether people feel that they're reflected in the political conversation. It's whether people are flexible in their ideology. 
but we refer to them as the exhaustive majority because they felt as if there's something bigger than just the Democrat versus Republican political fight in the country that they cared about and that they would be willing to compromise and want their political leaders to compromise in order to meet those bigger goals, in order to help diffuse conflict in the country and have a more constructive political conversation. And I don't think that's different in Texas. We've just heard from Stephen Hawkins, Global Research Director of More in Common, and before him, Paul Oshinsky, Research Fellow. We highly recommend their report, Threads of Texas, for a richer understanding of what is commonly but also superficially called a red state. In fact, there are many threads of blue, purple, and red throughout Texas. For example, according to a majority of polls, a majority of Texans do not support the major bills recently passed by the Texas legislature, including those severe restrictions on abortion access, limitations on voting access, and at the same time, unlicensed open carry of firearms. Shouldn't that trigger electoral backlash? I asked Dr. James Henson of the Texas Politics Project that obvious, but it turns out, kind of naive question. You know, the question you ask in the overall sense of essentially... Was the Republican agenda that was passed and signed by the governor in 2021 a bridge too far for a general election in 2022? Senate Bill 8 would ban doctors from performing abortions after a fetal heartbeat is detected, which can happen as early as six weeks into gestation. It would also allow anyone to sue the doctor who performed that abortion. Governor Greg Abbott signing some of the most sweeping voting restrictions in the country. We must have trust and confidence in our elections. But in Texas and every other state, there has been no evidence of widespread voter fraud. Still, the new law bans drive through voting and 24-hour polling locations, which have increased turnout among minorities. A major change to Texas gun laws goes into effect next week. Commonly called constitutional carry, Texans 21 years and older who are allowed to own a handgun will no longer need a license to carry it. This is legislation that is promoted by Republican legislators who do not want primary challengers from the right and are not afraid of the general election electorate or, you know, at the very least are willing to face that problem when they have to. I mean, I think as we look at polling and we look at the electoral environment, I don't expect that this is going to work to Democrats' advantage extensively. Yeah, well, I guess from a outsider perspective, we see, you know, the party in power passing, you know, very red meat legislation primarily for the support of Republican primary voters. We see an opposition party, the Democrats, that's structurally weak. Does that not open up some opportunities in the center for some more independent, centrist, moderate, maverick type of politicians? Like, are there any Ross Perot's or Ron Paul's, you know, in the making out there? You know, the pickings are pretty thin, frankly, right now. You know, we had a, you know, a little um, sort of an outbreak, if you will, of independent candidates in the middle of the decade before last. You know, Rick Perry's first re-election campaign in 2006, there were two independent candidates, Kinky Friedman and a woman named uh, uh, Carol Rylander, who had 
been kind of a centrist Republican, but had been a Republican that had moved back and forth. Since then, there's just not been much stirring in the independent sector in the state. Well, Texas is certainly not alone in that. We'd also like to get your comment on a previous guest, the political geographer at Harvard, Ryan Enos, originally from California, as you are. He's talking about the movement of Californians to Texas and that most of those people may be conservative. But within Texas, there's a concern more liberals are coming in. Is there any good research or polling on this? And are people in Texas just playing politics with Californians in particular? Well, the... the to answer the second question first, yes, people are playing politics with this. Um, what research has shown is that people tend to not move for reasons of political identity. They tend to change states for economic reasons, predominantly. And that's meant that most of the people that have moved to Texas have moved to areas that are somewhat political mixed, because that's where the economic dynamism is. So you know, I don't think that this is a political exodus per se, you know, and I would also, you know, add to that, that there's clearly a political payoff as long as Texas is a state that is predominantly Republican and California is a state that is predominantly Democratic. You're going to see the kind of rhetoric you got from, from Governor Abbott that you're seeing from Governor Abbott and we saw from Governor Perry, but both of them will hedge on that on non-analytical personal anecdote. I mean, I was in a small event for a educational group with Governor Perry years ago, and I was in the front row and I had met the governor before and he knew I was from California, you know, and he singled me out as an example of somebody who probably came to Texas for, you know, higher education and freedom. So, you know, this is a very flexible construct and they use it and it gets used flexibly. And I think you have to compare it. Yes, there are a lot of people coming to Texas from California. It's a big issue. You know, it's an issue here where I am in Austin, very liberal city, but where people complain about, you know, high tech people coming in and working in high tech from California. And it's not so much a political as it is a social complaint that they come and they have money and they drive up real estate and they're turning you know, Austin into the, you know, a real estate market like San Francisco. It's a very different kind of complaint. Yeah, well, so far we've been kind of asking fairly pointed questions based on our review of your polling, but we wanted to ask you what jumps out at you from your recent polling as something you didn't expect and is worth watching closely. I think, you know, this is not good news, but I, the thing that we're most interested in now, right now, frankly, and that we're watching is... And, I, and I'm still trying to figure out what the right concept for this is, but um, the decay in democratic norms in in the state. Now, this is a, a national problem, but it's one that I think is showing up in our state-level polling. And this maybe is a way of connecting to our notion of, you know, what makes Texans Texan or things that have made Texas distinct in the past. It used to be you could find when you ask questions about the nature of politics or you know, the health of the political system or, you know, your optimism, et cetera, that Texans judged what was going on in the state, you know, much more positively than the way they judge things in the nation. And if anything, that was a big part of Texas identity, the, the sense of Texas, you know, Texans reflexive sense that, well, you know, we kind of are doing better. And I think in terms of people's views of how democracy is working, 
their faith in the political system, their faith in political leaders. We're seeing a real decay in that here. Yeah, well, it's certainly huge concern everywhere. Last question is a little more of a personal one. We ask all our guests to show a bit of purple. Uh, we've talked about negative partisanship, the growth in that, the loss of confidence in democratic norms. Is there one Texas Democrat living or dead, one Texas Republican living or dead, who might be able to transcend that partisanship and restore a little bit of faith in democracy and governance? Sure. I mean, I think on the Republican side, somebody who is alive and, and served recently, I would say the former Republican Speaker of the House, a guy named Joe Strauss, served as the longest sitting speaker between roughly 2009 and about 2018. You know, kind of an old school Republican, but believed in public service, believed in not letting party drive what he thought was the right thing. Great public servant, a guy who's out there, but, you know, in talking to him, you know, wonders what's happened to his party. And I think by extension, what's happened to the political system along the lines of the things we were just talking about. On the Democratic side, you know, I'm going to dip into history here and say former Congresswoman, but well-known figure, Barbara Jordan, she was clearly a Democrat and nobody would confuse her otherwise, but had a real focus on the integrity of institutions as you know some of her most well-known speeches and, and moments in the, in the spotlight illustrated a real regard for the constitution for constitutional process and for civil political discourse and i think you know barbara jordan was somebody who really embodied that in a lot of ways we the people a very eloquent beginning but when that document was completed on the 17th of september in 1787 i was not included in that we the people i felt somehow for many years that george washington and alexander hamilton just left me out by mistake but through the process of amendment interpretation and court decision i have finally been included in we the people Two interesting bits of purple there from Dr. James Henson of the Texas Politics Project. That last voice is unmistakable to anyone who's watched the Watergate impeachment hearings. Barbara Jordan was the first African-American female elected to Congress from a Southern state back in 1972. Thanks to Dr. Henson for his insight into the structural foundations of the rightward shift in Texas politics. Again, that shift has as much to do with the power of gerrymandering and of incumbency as it does with any real shift in voter attitudes. And speaking of Texas voters and citizens, thanks to Paul Oshinsky and Stephen Hawkins of More in Common for giving us a much more complete sense of Texans at this polarizing time in our national and state politics. A lot more about Texas identity in our next episode with featured guest Henry Cisneros, former four-term Democratic mayor of San Antonio and Clinton cabinet secretary. He has some candid observations on his own party's lack of success in Texas and in more culturally conservative parts of the country. So I think that progressives, people to the left, Democrats generally, would do well to try to put yourself in other people's shoes who are striving to create a better life for their families, 
who want the best possible education for their children in basic ways and in traditional ways with respect to views about the country and patriotism, for example, and who want to create uh, the best working environment possible and make an income and buy a home. And that's still where the majority of America is. We hope you'll join us then. Support us on Patreon or Apple subscriptions and reach out with your feedback, comments, and suggestions. As Jasmine did through the voice option on our website, we thank Jasmine for reaffirming that we are sensible, which is always the goal here, along with thoroughly researched and fact-checked. Special shout-out to associate producer Michael Falero, fact-checker for these Texas episodes, and special thanks to Texas-influenced composer Ryan Adair Rooney for the original scoring. Please stay with us for episodes with bona fide Lone Star Texperts will be heard, Lawrence Wright and Stephen Harrigan. The Purple Principle is a Fluent Knowledge production. 